morning. Our scripture reading this morning is 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 1 through 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord for us. Have you ever heard of the word slacktivism? Slacktivism, if you don't know, is when you take activism and slacking and you jam it together. It is doing the bare minimum and feeling like you're making a difference. One of my favorite examples of slacktivism is the online petition. Now, I'm not saying that no good has ever come from an online petition. Like, lots of good has come from them. But even you have to admit there are some really ridiculous online petitions. Like this one in 2014, um, there was this online petition to comb Blue Ivy's hair. Blue Ivy, if you don't know, is the daughter of Beyonce. Um, There was another um, funny uh, online petition that was to remove the online petition platform of change.org. Like, these are just really ridiculous. And they're, they're, not, they're not activism, really. And there may be some slacking, and they're jammed together. It's, it's slacktivism. It's doing the bare minimum and feeling like you're making a difference. It's taking slacktivism, or slacking and activism and jamming it together to feel like you're making a dif- difference. The problem is... It's just a feeling, like you just feel like you're making a difference. And I want to explore this morning what slacktivism looks like in the church. Um, So we are going to explore that together this morning. Um, You know, I don't think there's anywhere more dangerous for slacktivism to exist than in the church, Uh, specifically in regards to the gospel, You know, I think far too often the church has settled for a slacktivist view of the gospel. 
And what is Plactivist view of the gospel? Well, it's, it's going to church, praying a prayer, and just hoping you go to the good place instead of the bad place. That is a slacktivist view of the gospel. And I believe that it's holding us back as a church. And I think that us as followers of Jesus have settled for this far too often. And what if slacktivism is holding us back from seeing the true beauty of the gospel? The message of hope and freedom from bondage that Jesus introduced to the world. What if following Jesus as the church isn't just about going to heaven, but about bringing heaven to earth? One of the most obvious ways that I have participated in slacktivism, um, actually I have two examples, but one of them uh, was me and my friends um, did this Bible study uh, on Saturday mornings uh, a long time ago. And, and that, that's like a great thing. You're like, that's not really slacking. That's a really good thing. The, the slacking part was we would talk about these really, really big philosophical ideas for like two hours sometimes. You remember that, Leroy? Two hours we would just talk about these big philosophical ideas. And then we would go home and we would play Madden for two hours or we would watch TV or go golfing and would do absolutely nothing about it. The other way that I have participated in slacktivism was I watched this documentary on the problem of social media and I got so inspired and deleted all of my social media accounts for like three days. But for those three days, I felt really good about it. That's not activism. That's slacktivism. Maybe for you, engaging in slacktivism is liking that Instagram thing that you really believe in. Or maybe you were the one that created the petition to remove blue ivy's or comb blue ivy's hair. I could really see that coming from a conservative area like Holmes or Wayne County. I could, I could see that coming from here. But the problem with slacktivism is it just feels like we're making a difference. And the problem is it's just a feeling. And then something comes along, an opportunity comes along, where we can actually really dig in and make a difference, and we say, well, well I'm already doing this thing, so you don't really participate in it. We disengage when there's opportunities to make a difference because of slacktivism. You see, when Jesus came to earth, there was no slacking in his activism. He brought the kingdom here to earth and he was uh, healing people and preaching the gospel, going everywhere. Like he was, there was no slacking about it. And I think this idea of slacktivism is so dangerous to us as the church. You see, intro, Jesus introduced a message that changed the world. And for so many of us, we settle for so much less in our faith. We settle for coming to church, praying a prayer, and just hoping we go to the good place instead of the bad place.
What if there is so much more? We see this full extent of our faith as going to heaven. But what if heaven and earth are not as separate as we think they are? What if that is not the full extent of the good news that Jesus introduced the world? What if the church isn't just a building or a place to go, but a physical representation of something so much more? So, Father, this morning, uh, we open your word and look to your teaching. Father, we believe that that everything we read and study is good for teaching and rebuking, and, and, and we read that this morning. Father, help us to live differently. Help us to look to you for guidance. Father, be in this room this morning. Teach us by your Spirit. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um... Scripture this morning is, is going to be less of a launching spot for us and more of a landing spot. So you're going to sit there with your page open for quite a while. Um, but we are in the final week of our Binge Reading the Bible series. And in honor of that, I have a special slide that I want to show you um, in a second. Um, and, and, and at the very least... It'll bring a little bit of humor to me, even if you don't appreciate it. I'll at least appreciate it. So can we just go ahead and show that slide this morning? Are you still watching? I don't doubt that any of us aren't here this morning watching and participating. And I don't doubt any of you have let the book that we've been learning about for the past six weeks sit at home on your shelf and collect dust. I certainly hope that you haven't, uh, because there is a lot of things in here, and we we have unpacked a lot of things about this book, and we're going to continue to do that this morning. And I I hope that you are reading this, and we so often take for granted what we actually have here. I was watching this video about um, a first century church, um, and uh, how they would have conducted what, well, what we now call a church service at that time. And there really wouldn't have been like rows like this with a stage up front. Like the, the speaker would have actually stood more in the center of the room. They would have stood somewhere like this. And there wouldn't have been like worship like we have on the stage where we all stand or stand out here and we kind of worship and sing. And every now and then we get really inspired by what we're singing. We get goosebumps and it feels good. Um, they would have worshipped more uh, with testimony. You know, the, somebody would have stood in the center and then people would have stood up over there and they would have been saying something like, you know, God is good. And everybody would have been like, ooh, yeah. Like it would have just been really good. And there was one particular service that was really strange, or at least I found it to be really strange. Uh, This specific service, they would remove the Ark of the Covenant from its place, uh, which was the Ten Commandments. And and the the way they did it was what was unique about it. 
Um, you know, it, it wasn't strange to remove it and read it, but, but did they just walk over, pick up the covenant, and just read it? No, that just, that wasn't enough. Did they, did they run to get the covenant? No, too easy. For sometimes two or more hours, they would dance with the ark. And people would just be going crazy. Like they're just dancing and, and, and people are just going crazy. And, and it wasn't for, no matter how good they were, it wasn't for their dance moves. But this was the part of the service where they got to hear from the living God. Christy, I don't know what that means for you for scripture reading this morning or for any of our scripture readings, but I feel like we've got to amp it up a little bit. You don't have to dance. But um, anyway, so I really want us to understand the reverence and respect that the word was given. And, and, and that's the main point of that. You know, um, we so often have trouble reading scripture because... Sometimes we are looking for the wrong character in what we're reading. So often we, we ask ourselves, well, what does this passage say about me? The question we need to be asking is, what does this passage say about God? Because this book is about God, not about us. And we have covered a lot of scripture in the past six weeks. We have literally read the entire Bible cover to cover. And Matt, uh, Matt told me we almost broke a world record doing that. Like, how cool is that? We have covered a lot of scripture and different genres of biblical literature. We have talked about the books of the law and history and books of poetry and prophecy. And last week we talked about the gospels and how the coming of Jesus didn't, didn't erase anything that was written, but instead he came to fulfill the law. And this week, we're going to be diving into the epistles. Um, not to be confused with the apostles. Uh, the epistles were written by the apostles. They were letters um, written to uh, individuals or churches um, and they were really, really practical writing for us as a New Testament church because they were really written about how to conduct ourselves post-resurrection. So Jesus had been raised from the dead, and, and the church was, was kind of trying to figure some of this out, and, and these letters helped give them a theological framework to fit into. Uh, so that's really what, what these epistles really did. And they gave us pastoral guidance. And this section of the Bible is important because it showcases the issues that people were really facing on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and these letters are highly personal. And they talk about the importance of our future hope. And they were written to people and churches and specific issues. But on the whole, these 21 books of the Bible, which is from Romans to Jude, consist of real-life descriptions of faith, behavior, and future expectations. And the epistles focus heavily on teaching Christian communities about proper living um, as disciples of Christ and how to interact 
with believers and unbelievers. And today, I'm going to wrap up all of that living into a key phrase that I think we're all really familiar with. Kingdom living. Kingdom living is an expression that talks about how to live under the lordship of Christ. How to live under his authority. How to be transformed on a day-to-day basis by his life. And all the choices that we make for the kingdom of God. And, and for some of you, that seems like a confusing phrase. Like you're like, kingdom living. What does, what does the kingdom of God, that place with castles and clouds, have to do with living? Like, I, I don't understand. For some of you, and I, I recognize many of you are saints, uh, you have heard the phrase kingdom living many, many times and are like, why are we teaching a sermon on kingdom living, we, we totally know and get this. Uh, but regardless of where you're at, um, I would like to take a deep dive into kingdom living, which is, which is really what the epistles are all about. And is not even close to a slacktivist way of living. So what is kingdom living? Let's unpack that together. It's important to talk about, like I said, the epistles really focus on this, uh, how to live under the lordship of Christ. I think sometimes we get confused by the kingdom of God because we see that as a place we go to. Um, And and it's kind of confusing when we say kingdom living because we're like, well, we're, we're going to the kingdom of God. And... And it's kind of like sometimes a confusing concept to understand about the kingdom. I want to be clear this morning. If you have been saved by faith in Christ, you are a member of God's kingdom right now. You're not like pending approval until you pass away and then you kind of like it's that's not what it is like. Uh. For he has rescued us, Colossians 1.13 says, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. If you have been saved by faith in Christ, you are a part of the kingdom now. And we are his ambassadors. At MCA, we actually have on our statement of faith uh, a section on kingdom living. And I actually want to read that to you this morning. It says, when Jesus came to earth, he changed things for the people of God, ushering in a new kingdom. Over and over in his famous Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus described these changes, he said, it has been said. But I tell you, in that same sermon, Jesus taught us to pray these words, your kingdom come. Kingdom living is a life that centers on the teaching of Jesus We want the love of Jesus to shape our attitudes, the way we conduct business, the way we treat other people, the way we care for our families, the way we love others, and the way we prioritize our lives. Kingdom living is all about prioritizing our lives underneath the lordship of Christ and making decisions on every aspect of life for the kingdom. 
every aspect of our life transformed by our faith in Christ. And love for Him and others is the defining characteristic of kingdom living. The defining characteristic. Being part of the kingdom of God, we do not... We don't need to understand everything, but we do need to understand that there is actually a structure to this kingdom. And we, the church, actually have a part to play in it. Each one of you sitting in these chairs has a part to play in the kingdom of God. You have been gifted in some way to advance God's kingdom. We are his hands and his feet to this world. We are the physical representation of the kingdom of God. Not not this far-off kingdom in the clouds. Like right here on earth, we are a representation of God's kingdom. And we have gifts that we have been given. So starting in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians, I'm going to start reading. It says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do, Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Paul lets us know here, You are a part of the body of Christ. This is a very common theme in the epistles. We we did a couple of messages actually on uh, the spiritual gifts. So I'm not going to dive too deep into those. Back in September we did that. Uh, So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. I only want to mention that you, church, represent God's kingdom to this world. And we have a part to play in representing his kingdom. And if we continue to have a slacktivist view of the gospel, we miss opportunities for us to bring the kingdom of God to the least of these. We are called to so much more, so much more as his church. We are called to serve as his church. When you think of the kingdom, stop seeing castles and clouds and start seeing the least of these. This is who we are called to serve. And serve with love. Paul goes on. Um... In just a little bit, we'll talk about uh, where we're going to land this morning uh, in regards to love. And I just want to say, like, if you hear nothing else this morning, if all of this is really confusing and kind of big, like, if you hear nothing else, please hear the words of Paul here this morning. The defining characteristic of love we have been asked to have 
And no matter how well you do anything else in regards to living for God's kingdom, it doesn't matter if you don't have the characteristic of love, which is an action. And I, I'm not going to present this as like an idea to just think about. A lot of times, messages can just, we kind of walk away from church and we're like, that's, that's something really good to think about. Like, I'll take that home and chew on it. Um, but, but that's not really what I, I want from this. And I, I don't think that's what the Lord wants. I think that this idea that Paul presents here is an invitation to us to live differently. So let's keep reading. Starting in 31 of chapter 12, it says, Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Chapter 13, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong, Or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am what? I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, what do I gain? I gain nothing. Okay, Paul, so what is love? Verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. And it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part... But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully Known. And then the verse that we all plaster on our walls, it says, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You know, I was, uh, I was thinking this week uh, about the Roe versus Wade decision. And what a celebration that is this week. But I was disheartened by some responses from the pro-life camp. 
I saw hateful posts and hateful comments made about any of those people. And I know in our minds we're like, well, 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 Jeremy, they, they started it. Did you see? Did you see the things that they said about that decision? Those were awful things. Well, Paul says, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. It says here, like, if we don't have love, what's the point? I'm not asking anything other than for you to consider how we might love other people as ourselves. As a whole church, we can read through this entire Bible as many times as we want. We can have events. We can fill auditoriums. We can build bigger buildings, have thousands of people come to our services. But if we do not have love, it's worth what? It's worth nothing. It's pointless. We can't just spend six weeks reading through the entire Bible and not actually be transformed in any way by what it says. That's a slacktivist way of doing things. The gospel of Jesus Christ is all about bringing kingdom of God to earth. And we, his ambassadors, are called to go and expand this kingdom. That's what we are called to. You know, a hundred years ago, they said the church wouldn't exist in 35 years. But look at, look at this now. The church is still standing. God is still on the throne. And he will reign forevermore. And praise be to him for it. The church. If we do not remember to love one another, what good will it be? We, MCA, must be patient and kind and not envious or boastful and not self-seeking or dishonorable, being slow to anger and not delighting in anything evil, but rejoicing in truth with no record of wrong. Let's not just read this book. Let's be transformed by it. By the word of God. By a church that is all about kingdom living. That's all about this this idea that we are his ambassadors called by him to make this world know him. To be his image to a dying and broken world. And we just cannot continue a slacktivist view of the gospel. There is so much more. The church is called to so much more. Father, thank you this morning. Father, we confess that there are times when we just, we are not the church that you asked us to be. That we get consumed with with work and lives that, that really aren't centered and rooted in your whole gospel. And Father, I pray that by your power, we would go to this world with the Bible in our hands, 
and serving others. Father, we trust these words in here. And we, we give you our lives this morning. Father, thank you for the gospel, the hope that we have in your son, Jesus, who is, and, and, and for you who is bringing all things back to himself. Father, thank you. In your son's name, amen.